Hi, everyone. This is Tara Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hi there. Hi there. So today on the show, we are going to talk about um, what's commonly known as Munchausen by proxy in our uh, DSM diagnosis manual. It's called Factitious Disorder Imposed on Another. And the context of this will be the case of D.D. Blanchard and Gypsy Rose. And we're going to talk, we're going to include, there was this drama series called The Act um, a few years back that we're going to include in our discussion, which was uh, 2019, actually. It was a dramatization of the story. And we're also going to include, because we both watched it, Mommy Dead and Dearest, which is the documentary that they did in 2017 about the case. Um, and basically it's based on the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard, who is the mom in the scenario and the one most likely to be diagnosed with factitious disorder imposed on another, wouldn't you say? For sure. So we're going to include all of that, including talking a little bit about the court case near the end. So I, I guess in general, like, how did you feel? feel watching these things did you like the series did you like the documentary did you feel like they were quality product i guess is where we're start um well i'll say that i avoided watching it for a couple of years because i knew that it was i i didn't want to watch it um i've seen this in the work that we do not to this extent um this is a, a really really severe case of this but i remember when this documentary came out and people were talking about it people who do do not necessarily work in our industry. And people were asking me if I had seen it. And I was like, no, I don't plan on it. Um, just because I knew it was going to be very, very heavy. And as far as the, you know, Patricia Arquette and Joey King and Chloe 70 and all of the people who played in the series, I thought they played the part so well. Um, it was, it was exactly, I think I had texted you one day and I said, now it, I remember exactly why I didn't watch it because it's really traumatizing to watch. And knowing that this is not a horror film or a sci-fi film that we're watching, that this happened to a human being, this happened to a child and how she was failed over and over and over by multiple people. Really, really, really hard to watch. And I think the act did, for the most part, there are things that... Um, you know, not every, nothing's going to do everything perfect. It, no series is going to be a hundred percent to the true story, but overall I think it was well done. I do too. I mean, it's a true crime dramatization, right? Of a, of a real thing. It's eight parts. Um, it's, it's, it, there's no multiple seasons. It's just, it's just an eight part series that came out in 2019. You can watch it on Hulu and it's based on, so many of the things that happen are, are not actually factual in real life, but it, I thought it, um, because we looked at this case, watched the documentary, and then also read about it, a lot of what they did is is accurate. But with most shows, you know, they have to collapse and expand time a lot mm -hmm. of times. They have to cut out things, add things for dramatic purposes, because, you know, true stories don't really <laughs> hold the three-act structure <laughs> most of the time. But um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, was well acted it was well constructed i mean if it makes you feel i think that's really successful that's mm -hmm. exactly what it's supposed to do uh and then mommy dead and dearest to the doc the documentary that was in 2017 i thought was really well done you know yeah. documentaries are difficult as we've talked about before mm -hmm. we've watched a lot of duds as i'm sure the audience has and 
but this is well constructed. It moves along. There's enough information dumped at certain points that keeps you going like, oh, really? Oh, interesting. Right. Which is like. I intentionally watched the act first. I did too. Um, just to see how they portrayed her. And then when I watched the documentary and even more blanks were filled in and then to see her walking and all, it was like, oh, wow. Like, whew. I did the same thing, actually. I kind of wanted to have what, like what you're describing as that experience right. with it, which I definitely did. So I guess let's start with talking about what exactly factitious disorder imposed on another is. And the reason why I'm saying all those words <laughs> is because there's also a factitious disorder imposed on self and we mm -hmm. don't want to, which is far more rare mm -hmm. um, and also very complex because you have to do a differential diagnosis with, with like borderline personality and all kinds of different things to get to that. Cause and lots of people damage themselves. Yeah. And I think that there's, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but there's a lot of comorbidity with borderline yes. personality disorder with this disorder. But if you want to just start with this disorder, yeah. we'll go through So the factitious disorder imposed on another, uh, which was previously factitious disorder by proxy or a Munchausen by proxy in the vernacular of our culture. So if I'm looking at the diagnostic manual for this disorder, which we are, one of the first things it'll tell you is that it's a falsification of physical or psychological signs or symptoms or induction of injury or disease in another associated with identified deception, meaning you're trying just like um, Dee Dee was trying to do or did for decades with her daughter is falsifying medical records basically to show that she had a bunch of things that she didn't have, including not being able to walk, being deaf and dumb, having a learning disorder, having muscular dystrophy. There was, I mean, it started according to dad, it started with um, sleep apnea, like mm. a few months after the baby was born, after Gypsy was born and then falsely diagnosed with leukemia and muscular dystrophy requiring a feeding tube and a wheelchair. Um, so, and then mom had her salivary glands removed mm -hmm. and that's what they believe led to really the loss of her teeth and things like that. So, I mean, this poor child, the amount of, I mean, these are, these are horrific, um, diseases and, and, and very, I mean, to be diagnosed with all of this and that actually not be happening. Yeah. There was a lot of convenient things that happened along the way too, where, um, conveniently, all of the medical records were lost in Katrina. Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> How many times did that come up? And so mm -hmm. what happened, for you guys who don't know the story, what happened is that after that, what it was was mother reported all throughout the medical records. In other words, whenever they went to a doctor, it was now the mother, meaning the one who has factitious disorder imposed on another who is fabricating all these illnesses, is the one telling the doctors, the problems, her whole medical history. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting. It was very interesting to see how no doctor along the way <laughs> until very late in the process even said it because, I mean, there are signs and symptoms of this disorder, but I also know that here, here, here's what I think you tell, you tell me what you think, Kathy, but you know, this is often associated with, um, so falsifying medical diagnoses, but 
mental health diagnoses are included. We just don't see that as commonly is that they can fabricate mental health issues in the victim as well. But because I think a lot of times in the medical profession, it's looked at as um, a mental health diagnosis, the Munchausen by proxy, as most people know by, um, it's, I don't think all doctors are trained in it because it does blur. I, th- I believe it blurs these lines between mental health and medicine. Yeah. You know, I mean, a couple things come up for me when you say that. I, I think that we're, we're dif- definitely starting to bridge the gap between medicine and mental health. I can say that the mental health industry has been taught to take medicine seriously. Uh, the medical industry sees mental health oftentimes. And this is a general statement. It's broad strokes here. Um, this is not entirely true like cross the board, but medicine looks at mental health as secondary or supplementary versus, you know, comorbid with. And so I think uh, medical doctors go, I I mean, I know when I'm doing uh, my initial assessments for people and I I teach my students to do the same thing, you have to have a good medical history. Um, You have to understand, you know, because if there's certain symptoms coming up, we want to rule out the medical stuff. It needs to be the other way around as well. And that oftentimes doesn't happen. The second thing I'll say is when, when this happened, we didn't have medical records um, that were electronic records. I think if this would have happened now where electronic health records had to be connected and doctors could pull up from that last hospital or whatever, and mom wasn't coming in with the five pound stack of papers that were messed up because of Katrina, it would have been easy for doctors to look at this and go, I'm sorry, Miss Blanchard, like this is not what we have here. And I spoke with this hospital, but this is back when everything was a hard record, which made it really easy for her to say, we just don't have those anymore. So one of the reasons why electronic health records for mental health and hospitals and doctors are so important is we can communicate with each other Mm -hmm. and there's no misunderstanding. And this, that was a big big part of the problem was like you said, she was in control of the records, which would never happen now. Yeah, it's, it's actually I'm I'm struck by, you know, we've spoken in other true crime documentary episodes about how police precincts don't weren't talking to each other a lot, yeah, right? And that how cross talk. Yeah. yeah, and how cases would get have been starting to get solved in the last couple of like, decades. This is my jurisdiction. Because now they actually <laughs> yeah, talk to each other. For sure. They collaborate and that it's this is that same That's type what happened of with, idea. We talked about in the Ramirez. Yeah, mm-hmm. Richard Ramirez, it's why he it took so long. Right. And um yeah. So, so there. So, you know, you look at that. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, if you watched at least the way that was portrayed and I'm assuming it was very true or Gypsy Rose wouldn't have ended up, um, you know, being at the hand of so much ne- hands of so much negligence is, you know, these doctors really did look at her like um, one. I think she was unassuming in the way that she presented and she um, presented very much like she loved her daughter and care. And why would she lie? And, you know, why would a, 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 she just wants to get her daughter help? So doctors um, and I'm going to be incredibly I'm going to make another big general statement here, male doctors are going to look at her and want to care for her. Um, it wasn't until that female doctor who looked at her and went, uh, no, <laughs> it's true. You know, that is the way they portrayed it. Where And, and all also, of a sudden- also a mother, that doctor was a mother and was like, a mother would not act this way. So there was something very much about that motherly instinct that physician had that went, this does not add up for me. 
Well, and, and possible, you know, I don't know. I'm definitely talking out my hmm right now, but like, I don't, I, I don't know. That doctor may have also had, um, like experience with Maybe. this, you mm-hmm. know, and, and also just leaning into that or, you know, personal experiences with people who manipulate you, you know, just like we have as therapists, we sure. have our personal experiences and professional experiences that like inform being able to, you know, see something in someone that maybe another professional doesn't. So, yeah, I mean, here's the thing too, you know, when we think of um, some of the re because, you know, I know people watching watching this who maybe aren't who aren't in the industry might go I mean how how could they really have pulled this over and so one of the a few of the things we know about Munchausen's by proxy is the, you know the the caregiver chooses symptoms that are difficult to disprove um, they will often tamper with test results they'll falsify the records like you were talking about which I think is getting harder to do they induce sickness um, they give the child or the whoever happens to be the victim could be an elder or someone who's cognitively, um, you know, impaired or jeopardized in some way. Um, they, the willingness to put someone through medical procedures, regardless of, I mean, like what she did with the dental stuff, you know, I mean, putting her through these procedures that are so emotionally, mentally, and physically traumatizing just to get that, you know, attention. Absolutely. Um, just so I make sure that I mention all of the factors that yeah. we use in the diagnosis. So the first one was the falsification of signs or symptoms. The second factor to get this diagnosis is the individual presents another individual, quote unquote, the victim to others as ill, impaired, or injured. The third is the deceptive behavior is evident even in the absence of obvious external rewards. So let me say that again, just mm-hmm. so we like so we look at it. The deceptive behavior, meaning the lies about the medical shit, is evident even in the absence of obvious external rewards. Right. So the difference between this and malingering, right? So exactly. malingering would be for the purpose of monetary gains or something. This is there regardless of that. Yeah. So that's just a really important yeah. thing for. Di- so what you'll find is in diagnosis, in diagnosis, it gets down to these very specifics in order for us to to really differentiate what you have. That's called a differential. Like which, which thing does someone have that's primary? Cause people can have more than one thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And many do. And then the fourth one was, um, is the behavior is not better explained by another mental disorder, such as delusional disorder or another psychotic disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that brings up for me is that, and there's a lot of communication about this in the industry is that, there is a often, very often, and I'm not quoting research, but I've certainly read enough about it to know that very often there's a personality disorder that goes along mm-hmm. with this. Some people argue it's very much on the borderline disorder um, perspective, and some people argue that there's a very narcissistic uh, trait that that is evident in mm-hmm. this, just depending on how you look at the personality disorders, et cetera. So, but that's what we got. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and I, I think there can be both. And what we know about uh, personality disorders, specifically cluster B, is a lot of times there's an overlap. Oh, so yeah. it could be someone who has both borderline and narcissistic. Well, and that's what's you know, so, I which, mean. Which is the ultimate duo combo together. Please, I mean, that's, and thank you. oof, wooey. <laughs> right? And then if you notice, too, when you're watching 
Patricia Arquette's portrayal of Dee Dee when the doctors are are going, you know, they're starting to communicate or verbalize some of these inconsistencies. Patricia Arquette responds with hostility and resistance and you start to see that narcissistic defense. Yeah, I really see a lot of, I actually really see quite a bit of narcissism in this, but, um, you know, it's up to interpretation, obviously, because we're not actually assessing someone. Well, and I also think, you know, if you look at the just, the gender bias of that, the diagnosis too, if it most of the time we're seeing women in this role, more people are likely, I think, to diagnose BPD. I know it's so true. I just want to real quick before we move on to the next piece of this is that differential diagnoses are a lot of the things we're talking about. So it's like, it's malingering, it's borderline personality disorder, it's conversion disorder, somatic symptom disorder, stuff like that, or a medical condition that, you know, right. So we take those into account this as is, well. You know, this is really interesting too, is when they look at, there's a case study um, that there, there've been multiple case studies, I believe on, on this specific uh, part, part, no, in this specific um, part of Munchausen's, which mm-hmm. is like, who are the, the two main groups who are likely to be diagnosed with Munchausen's by proxy women between the ages of 20 and 40 um, with a healthcare background. Okay. That seems obvious to me. And then unmarried white men between 30 and 50. That's so vague, but okay. But kind of, I mean, it's just, but really <laughs> unmarried white men between 30 and 50. And isn't that so interesting? Because if that's true, I mean, we're just talking, but like, mm-hmm. if that's true, where, where are those people right in our media? In other words, I, I, I don't, Hmm. I mean, I would have to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole to see, but I've never seen a media representation of that. Nope. A show, a case in the news. For Munchausen's or Munchausen's by no, proxy. No, um, You know, they talk about how it's incredibly difficult to study. Um, so they have such limited research on it because it is a ve- it's very, very hard to study. There's no specific treatment. Um, but the belief is that just like we know this as practitioners, by treating the comorbid conditions, that tends to help, you know, bring an end. Uh, um, yeah, so we treat the personality disorder. Yeah, or enables the management of the condition. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to treat the, the, the personality disorder or whatever else might be going on. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe you mentioning that leads me into wanting to mention some of the signs and symptoms that you might see in someone mm-hmm. like this. Uh, one thing would be extensive knowledge of medical terms and diseases. So a lot of people come into the doctor's office. We don't know a ton <laughs> about, we don't have extensive knowledge of medical, right. unless we've had you know, uh, unless we've, we personally have had a sickness for a long time and then we've done a lot of research or someone in our family has had a sickness for a really long time. We've done a lot of research and we'll know and we'll be able to, but an extensive knowledge of many medical terms and diagnoses. So that's, but that's as we talk about a lot, not just that one piece, you know, not just that one um, factor. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one would be like vague and inconsistent symptoms. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because the vaguer the better <laughs> it's just difficult to really yeah so that the doctor's thinking disprove. well it could be this which i might add let's go the let's go here is that that will spark a doctor's own both narcissism so wanting oh, to solve the problem yeah, for you for sure and savior hero yep 
complex. I'll be the one who fixes this. Oh, we don't quite know. Let's let's fix the puzzle. Let me be the hero. Let me be the, oh, I know. I'm smart enough to figure this out. No mm-hmm. one's been able to figure it out for you. Yeah. Let me just figure that out for you, which is, of yeah. course. So you see how these things, of course. So it's a it's a easy way for the doctor to get baited into the mother's narrative. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's just a recipe. So uh, conditions that get worse for no apparent reason is another yeah, yeah. piece of it. Uh, they don't respond to treatments or like standard therapies that you would give to that, whatever that is. They don't respond. Just a, a really quick thought as you're going through this too, sure. just kind of pulling it into the the show is you know when she's shaving her head because she apparently has leukemia but not on any chemotherapy as far as we know and um <laughs> yeah her hair is growing back i know you see it and then they shave she keeps sh- i oh, mean we'll just keep shaving it for people and i've had you know people in my personal life go through chemotherapy it doesn't come back like that thick and not while you're in, not while you're in chemo <laughs> no and you don't keep shaving i mean it's just all of that stuff that you know and she started gypsy started to figure out over time of course but it, those types of things where you wouldn't have to shave so much of it if it was you know and she wasn't even on any chemotherapy i so know it's very bizarre so the seeking treatment from many doctors and hospitals using a fake name stuff like that um a reluctance to get collaterals, which is, mm. you know, right? It's like, may I call this person? Can I call the doctor? Yeah, <laughs> no. they, they, they represented that in the show. They, that they, doctor got lost in Katrina. Yeah, so sorry, dead. <laughs> <laughs> All the doctors have died. There are no, there's no one you could talk to. Family or friends? No, we don't have any family or friends. Yeah. So, um, and I think, you know, a lot of therapists in general don't consult collaterals. We, you know, take uh, people at their word and mm-hmm. there is a way to work with someone in their in their word unless it's a safety issue so if you start yeah. to have safety issues you need to get collateral That's but right. but anybody working in this field has to know that whatever information you get from your client is strictly from them from them and can be untrue right and is from their perspective so don't work on you know facts and tracking narratives like I think newer therapists a lot of times will say like, but, but, but wait, was it Thursday or Monday that that happened? You know, you're just really trying to track in some kind of linear narrative for someone. And that's wholly unuseful really. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and anchors you in like a rigid perspective of, of what they're telling you. Anyway, I, I digress. Um, Frequent stays at hospitals, eagerness for testing and risky operations. Because remember in the act when the doctor that was on to her, the way she got her to come in was, oh, and I'll give you more medication and this test. And the di- she baited her yeah. like because she knew she knew that would get her in, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. There's just a couple more I want to mention. Um, many surgical scars. Oh, God, it's terrible. Uh, having vis- few no visitors when you're hospitalized um, and arguing a lot with doctors and staff. Yeah, which perfectly. And makes to the sense. way that she would coach her to sit still with her stuffed animal and just, you know, there's and there's so like the um, gypsy had puberphonia, which is you know her. We're assuming she did, which means her vocal cords never developed. But I also wonder how much of that was maybe like an arrested development from just a lack of identity of even knowing how old she was and always being treated like a child. And so she had this very high-pitched childlike uh, voice. So how much of um, not only the medical scarring, but 
the mental, you know, she was told she was this child and spoke like it and uh, very sad. I'm very, I'm very much imagining that, uh, she got a lot of validation from acting like a child mm-hmm. and the voice was part of that yep. and probably got, um, blatant and or not blatant reinforcement for being having a baby voice where it really started to get creepy though is when she started to discover her sexuality and she's talking to these grown men with the voice of a seven-year-old very uncomfortable yes and you're gonna attract a certain type of man yep which she did yep um boy yeah yeah, just thinking about that whole thing. Uh, so there's some risk factors. I think that leads us into there's definitely risk factors for this, um, meaning the mother's condition, mm-hmm. by the way. We'll, we can talk more about, you know, the what ended up happening to Gypsy and, you know, the fallout from her being a victim of this. Um, so mom, Dee Dee, some of the risk factors would be childhood trauma, emotional, physical, sexual abuse, because what we find out in not so much in the show, but in the documentary, a little bit in the show, mostly in the documentary is that she was a liar and um, a criminal basically before she had uh, gypsy. And this was just the full manifestation and blooming of her, um, her mental health issues Mm -hmm. because there are stories from her dad, her dad and stepmom, I believe where she tried to poison her stepmom for a while and her stepmom was very sick. And as soon as they kind of, you know, left the house after she wrote bad checks or something, I mean, it's like a whole other story going on before the Mm -hmm. baby. I mean, before that sort of really took hold is that uh, as soon as Dee Dee left that house, the stepmother's sort of, started to feel much better and had no more gastrointestinal issues. So there's all kinds of, you know, and also um, Gypsy's father leaving early on um, because he really realized he was with someone that was not stable. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's another thing throughout the whole series. They really, they really, gosh, you know, as an audience member, they really make you believe like, could this be true? Is she really sick? Is mm-hmm. she not until the moment when she walks mm-hmm. and then you're like, Oh, <laughs> she can walk. And then she becomes complicit as a, as a victim. Yeah. As a trauma victim. When she starts to fight back and the way that, um, you, then you really see mom's mask drop, uh, mm-hmm. the scene where she, um, picks her up from the man's house and they pull up and she opens the van door and she kind of shuts it on her. And then she opens up the back where the wheelchair ramp is like, you're not walking into this house. Yeah. Then, yeah, the second half, right? The, mm-hmm. the Maybe the last four episodes or whatever, you know, the second half of the series, just it, it just had that mood shift. Yeah. Um, which I thought was just done very well. And you Joey start to King, see- I mean, the, the, the two of them together, Joey King and Patricia Arquette in this role, Man, I mean, they really pulled this off. Yeah, they knocked it out of the park. I mean, Patricia Arquette is an excellent actress. Always. Always. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. But the uh, the young lady who played Gypsy Rose was... Yeah, Joey King. She was great. Um, so a poor sense of identity, 
um, past experiences with sickness and childhood, possibly loss of a loved one, um, and personality disorders and depression. So are a lot of the risk factors for ending up having this as an adult. I, I don't know that much about Dee Dee's childhood, so I can't speak to what what may or may not have caused this. But what I did want to say is if one of the risk factors uh, is a personality disorder, that is just such an interesting thing in our profession because we so often put something like factitious disorder as a primary diagnosis and a personality disorder as a secondary secondary diagnosis. And that's just, that's for those of you don't know, that is de rigueur in our, you know, personality disorders are always second because so much of it is unknown and and taboo. (laughs) And And you don't want to give someone that diagnosis because then it's literally like official that they have this personality disorder. And I think that there's just, there's so much stigma around, you know, it's one thing if we can say oh this person has an illness that we can treat and and i i do think that there there is a um a situational sort of narcissistic flair <laughs> there in our field of going you're trying to hedge your words but yeah, you know <laughs> you know whereas clinicians we just we want to know that we're going in and being able to fix something oh, and, yes. and personality disorders are not necessarily a mental illness they're a mental disorder they're characterological they're based on environmental influences very differently though from what we would see with someone who has more of like a neurochemical so um, we know they're very hard to treat Mm -hmm. and so why do we want to start there because that doesn't help our egos as clinicians and it makes us feel less credible where we actually really should be starting with that as the primary diagnosis Mm -hmm. you know doing court work and and working in what I see corruption in family and children's court every single day, there are reports in, in California, they're called 730 reports, which are, you know, um, basically the fit, whether a parent is fit enough to take care of their child. It is actually stated in the rules of writing up a 730 report that it is not encouraged to talk about the diagnosis of a personality disorder in a parent. And that is such a disservice to these children who end up going back into the hands of their abusers because the court and the judge go, I don't want to hear the word narcissism. Yeah. One, because the court's very narcissistic, but they don't really know what to do with that. So, so evaluators are discouraged from saying anything but personality disorder traits in their evaluations. They cannot make those diagnoses. And I think that is so incredible incredibly dangerous we have lost almost 800 children to the hands of their abusers in the last decade yeah and this is one perfect example of that she didn't die but this was her life and the amount of people i mean literally everyone failed her everyone failed her that's why you were saying earlier is really difficult to watch because we know everyone failed her and then she went to jail Mm -hmm. you know so i mean for those of you who don't know what ended up happening is that uh, she met um, Gypsy, the young lady, met a man on a Christian dating website and they be- had a love affair. And there's a lot of details about that we won't go into. I suggest you watch the show. I really, I enjoyed it. Um, it's good. It's hard to get to- through, but it's very well done. And it, you know, might not trigger others like it triggers us because we're going like, oh God, why mm-hmm. isn't someone saving her? <laughs> uh but, you know, and then this gentleman, you know, he had his own set of 
issues. He was diagnosed hypothetically with multiple personality disorder, which is quite rare. So Mm -hmm. who knows if that's true? Um, he apparently was on the autistic spectrum. He'd exposed himself in the past. So he had some impulse disorder of some kind, most likely. I almost saw him as like schizotypal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was something going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, their wounds were talking to each other. Their trauma was talking to each other pretty heavily in that we don't, you know, one never knows, but what ends up happening is that, uh, through a course of discussions, they end up deciding to kill Dee Dee Blanchard. And so he comes to the house one night. She lets him in. He goes in and kills her, uh, kills the mom, Dee Dee. Gypsy Rose is in the bathroom and hears the whole thing. And then they um, very delusionally leave to start a life together as if. Fairy tale. You know, what's interesting is Gypsy thought she was 19 until her mom died. She literally thought her age was 19. Like, so, so they portray her as knowing that she could walk, knowing that she could grow hair. You know, there's lots of things that she knew, but then would just do um, anyway. So it makes her look complicit, even though she's a total, she's a victim in this. Mm -hmm. However, with the age thing, she literally did not know that she was actually 23 when her mom died. Right. And that, and for um, a while she thought she was like 14 yeah, until she found the records. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was confusing um, even for her. And then, uh, yeah, I think that leads us into, Oh, you know, one thing in the court case that I thought was interesting in the documentary that I really keyed into is mm-hmm. they asked her how far she went in school and she dropped out of school in the second grade. Second grade because mom kept saying she sense. was homeschooled, right? It makes yeah. perfect sense, right? Because you need to yeah. isolate her. That's right. Because people are going to figure it out. That's right. And this, you know, Munchausen by proxy or fictitious disorder by another is a form of child abuse. Mm-hmm. And so it would have been reported. Somebody would have figured it out much earlier. Mm-hmm. So you got to isolate her. Yeah. Like most narcissists, I'll just throw that in there. Yeah, <laughs> narcissists take, need to isolate you. <laughs> take 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 that person away from anyone who might catch on what's going on. Yeah, um, I thought this documentary was great. The mommy, dead and dearest. Are I we did there? Too. Are we yeah, talking we sure about that? Are. So there are a couple of things that came up for me. Um, first of all, Dee Dee's medical closet. Yeah, I've seen pictures. Oh, geez, it was like. The North Pole of toys, mm-hmm. but meds. Yep. I mean, it was really crazy. Um, just, you know, watching. Well, I'll get to this in a little bit when we get closer to um, the trial stuff. But just how she grew up with a lack of identity, right? Which is really mm-hmm. problematic. And every time we've had the show and we've talked about what that can contribute to as far as dangerousness and impulse control and delusions. We talked about this with Ted Bundy and, and I'm not comparing her to a serial killer by any means, but how, when you grow up without a stable sense of identity, how tragic and dangerous that can be. They also said between 2005 and 2014, she had over a hundred hospital visits. Um, Wow. Mom induced many of the symptoms, um, you know, or illnesses that Gypsy had. And, um, man, I I think she fell through the crack in the system. But the the question to me is, how did they not doubt mom as, you know, she was not a reliable historian and even knowing that the records were inconsistent. uh, And I know we, we did address a little bit of that. And I do agree with your, your one theory, which is, give a doctor a challenge, you know? Um, yeah. She's a, manip- a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, wherever she learned that, it's like if you figure out what someone needs or wants to feel like they can help you or whatever their stuff is, you know, and, and most doctors are wanting to be the one that solves the problem for you. It's what they're trained to do. It's probably what they got into the profession for. And again, general strokes, obviously I'm not talking about every doctor, but they want to help. There's an altruistic piece of it. So some doctors were probably just stuck in trying to help and other doctors were stuck in trying to be a hero or a savior. And other doctors were, I don't know, about to retire. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Like there's so many different reasons that they, they failed her. But you know, when you were saying that I was thinking, Hmm, have I ever had a doctor that I didn't, that I didn't, wasn't working on a particular puzzle with me? Like they take my history from me. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, if I've ever had an issue and we're collaborating with another doctor, then of course they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. But if I were to go in and, and try to fabricate it in some way, I don't know, like, have they called my partner? Have they called my family? No. And I think (laughs) it's because for the most part, doctors assume that you're not going to give them something that isn't happening. Most people don't want medical attention. I know people avoid, people People avoid it. Yeah. People lie and don't tell like, um, you know, I've had people in my life like lie to doctors and tell them that they're not still smoking. Yeah. It's like that. They lie to them or have a history of addiction. They omit. Yeah. As opposed to like too many. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's typically what happens or doctors don't even ask about a history of addiction and then they prescribe them certain medications. So there's usually a, a void of information, whether that's from the patient or the doctor not inquiring versus throwing, you know, having something thrown at you that isn't true at all. Exactly. An excess of information. So So, I'll just say about the documentary, what I enjoy about this documentary is what I enjoy about most documentaries that are really good is that they actually interview uh, Gypsy Rose, who Mm -hmm. um, at the end of her court case was given a 10 year sentence. She made a deal and so that she didn't have to face 25 to life. Um, and 85% of that's going to be served, must be served was part of the sentence and that she's eligible for parole in 2024. So mm-hmm. we're coming up on that. Yeah. You know, and just thinking about what this girl went through and then only for it to be, um, you know, for, for it to lead then to a murder and court and basically her, she did, she did play a part in her mother's murder. Um, but then again, do you, is there a way to look at that as self-defense? Um, I don't know, you know, because there were some people in the documentary and some people who look at her and go, well, you know, was she a sociopath? Was she, she clearly didn't care. And it's like, no, there, there's remorse is present. First of all, uh, secondly, what they talked about in, in the documentary, which I think is really important is when we do what are called like competency evaluations for court, we look at, you know, whether someone was able to really understand, um, were they in their right mind, which is, I'm not even going into the details of that. So they, they really, when they looked at her, it was like she lacked capacity for any real moral reasoning due to being 
in a chronic delusional state throughout her entire life. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at her and go, she knew exactly what was going on. And I mean, maybe was she oriented to time, place, person, situation? I mean, for the most part, but this is someone who could not tell the difference between reality and fantasy. She lived her life as a child wanting to be a Disney character. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from this boy she met through killing her mother was all just another story. I, I, so um, I don't know, it's just so sad to me. Yeah, there's been, I read a few things in preparing for this episode. I read a few things where people think that the sentence was too harsh, Mm. the 10 years. Um, And people that see her as more culpable than we do, as Mm -hmm. far as the trauma that she was under, the abusive situation she was under. Um, See, they, you know, much like a domestic abuse survivor can be blamed. Like the victim blaming. So so there's really those two ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing I would add is that the closest, I have never treated anybody with this disorder, Mm -hmm. um, the mother's disorder, um, factitious disorder, but I have treated someone who was the victim of it. Mm -hmm. And so the the grown um, child of someone... And so this is just one person, so I'm not extrapolating, but that one person, because you saw Gypsy Rose in person in the documentary, but also in the, you know, account in the act. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gypsy is also incredibly manipulative. Yes. So the outcome is not that you're a a victim in a puddle. It's, It's that you're, you know a pedal of tears type of thing to be, you know, um, felt sorry for it's that you're a victim and that has created some very negative behaviors in your life. And Mm so that was my experience with the person that I, um, treated, you know, I liked them very much. Yeah. I, they were very intelligent. They had lots of great qualities, but what I experienced was highly manipulative highly addicted to substances mm-hmm. and um, and borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And that, so, that adds up for me. I mean, this is like, this is what someone has been modeled. Right. Right. This is how they learn to survive in the world. Right. Um, and, and, but, and as we've said, sorry to interrupt you, but like narcissism and borderline go together, like, you know, yeah. wine and cheese. Yeah. So <laughs> one attracts the other. So that, that develops in that core twosome that's happening. Yeah. Um, Lack of stable identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, that all makes sense that that's, that was the final result of this yeah. adult child. Yeah. So, so I don't know anybody in this case, but I guess my thought was that th- that being my only clinical experience was that I know of, obviously, because we can all be manipulated. Who knows who else I've come mm-hmm. in contact with that may have been struggling with these things um, is that uh, she's going to exit prison in 2024. And I very much hope that Gypsy gets the support, help, attention, um, treatment that she'll need. Yeah. She's never been an adult in society without acting on her own. Right. She was entirely dependent on her mother. That's right. So so sad. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode. <laughs> I was going to be stupid about it, but I won't. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. This is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.